Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Goodness, isn't that good news? As I would say often, as I say often, that is such good news to frail, fickle sinners like you and I. That if we belong to Christ, then Christ is holding us fast. Like, may that be a central truth that grips our hearts, even in this moment, that no matter what, that Christ is holding us fast. Exodus chapter 20, uh, this morning, um, we will continue in our storyline of the Bible uh, series that we've been in starting in January. In January, here at the Point Community Church, we started in um, Genesis chapter one, uh, basically in verse one and covered the creation. And we have worked our way all the way through, I think this is like week number 15 in the sermon series, 14, 15, somewhere around there. And we find ourselves into Exodus 20. We're gonna be looking at the 10 commandments. Now this isn't just a, a sermon on the 10 commandments, but what this is, is this is a, a, a sermon of the 10 commandments set within the storyline of the Bible. And so if you have your, your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, verses, uh, we'll start in verse number one and read all the way through to verse number 17. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for the, I am the Lord, your God. I, I'm sorry. I am the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse number 12 in the fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, it's your word. And Lord, it's the blueprint for how people who have been ransomed and free are to live. And Lord, we give you thanks for it. Lord, may, the, may your law, may the 10 commandments, may they go to work on us. May this drive us to you, Jesus, that may we rightly see you for who you are and what you've come to do for us, sinners like us, Jesus, lawbreakers like us, Lord. 
Lord, break our pride. So easy for us to read the Ten Commandments and and try to score ourselves. You've already scored us, and the score is that we are found wanting. So your son Jesus came to die for sinners, lawbreakers like us, lived a life that we could not live, perfect, and offered forgiveness for our shortcomings and our sins, all of our law-breaking, rebellious ways. May we, as we read this rightly, may it engender love and worship when we think about the great grace that has been shown to us. In your name we pray, amen. As I said, we're in a, we're in a series that we've called the storyline of the Bible. And um, the way that we're looking at the storyline of the Bible is what we've said is um, in Genesis chapter one in the creation account that we see what God is doing. And God is doing this all throughout the Bible is God is establishing his kingdom. That God is by nature, he is a king and he's establishing his kingdom for his glory on the earth. It's a reflection of his beauty and his glory and his character in that. And so what we see in Genesis chapter one is we see God establishing a kingdom. The way that we're looking at this kingdom is we're looking at it simply as what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is this, it's God's people in God's place under God's blessing and God's rule. And so in Genesis chapter one, we see that God's people is Adam and Eve. In God's place, the, the place that God has established, it is the, the place of Eden. That's the God's place that he set apart for his people. Under God's blessing, the blessing of, first of all, knowing God, that God would come and commune with them. Second of all, there's tons of blessings. There's the blessing of creation, this beautiful place that there's food to eat, that the ground produces that animals are there for us to to enjoy. We have a a family as a husband and wife as Adam and Eve and who have even have sons. And so there's all kinds of blessings there. But then there's also the rule. For Adam and Eve, it isn't 10 rules. It was just simply one. You may eat of any tree in the garden except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so there's God's blessing and God's rule even in the garden. And what we see after in Genesis chapter three, I mean, we don't know how long in numbers of years that Genesis uh, or that God's people flourished um, in God's kingdom uh, as Adam and Eve. But we know this, that in the Bible, it ends in Genesis chapter three. In Genesis chapter three, that Adam and Eve break God's rule and what ensues is just, is, is chaos and sin. And what we see is God's kingdom is fractured that God's people are no more. God's place is, they're they're exiled out of God's place. And now there's a cherubim, flaming angels with flaming swords guarding the way. There's no longer God's blessing and rule. Now there's just, uh, there's curse, cursed, God says, over and over again in Genesis chapter three. And then God shows up in Genesis, I believe chapter maybe 15 with a man named Abraham. And God prophesies, he promises his kingdom that will come again and his kingdom will come through Abraham. And then what we're reading now in Exodus is, we're not just seeing, we're seeing uh, that that kingdom that was prophesied and promised to Abraham is coming into fulfillment. And we, we see in Exodus as a partial fulfillment of the kingdom of God. We see God's people are the descendants of Abraham. They are the Israelites and They are a people who have been slaved. And so we can even say this, that now in Exodus chapter 20, they've been freed and they've been ransomed. So God's people are a ransom people. 
There are people that have been delivered, a people that have been saved. And so God has saved his people and he's gotten them out of Egypt and he's taking them. That's what Exodus is about. And that's really what we'll see in Numbers when we get into Numbers is God is taking them, journeying to his place. It's a promised land. He promised to Abraham to give. Egypt is not that land. The wilderness is not that land, but Canaan is that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's taking them to a place And on the way, he's also establishing his blessing and his rule. And that's where we are today. We're gonna look at especially God's establishing his rule for his people. Remember that God, what we said is God has gotten his people out of Egypt. Now what God is doing is getting Egypt out of his people. But even as the Israelites left Egypt, they got to plunder Egypt. And what that means is they, they, even though they were slaves, they went to their taskmasters. They went to their masters and they said, give us gold, give us silver, even give us clothing. And so they're leaving out of Egypt with those clothes on, gold and silver. So they're leaving out of Egypt looking like Egyptians. And so now what God is doing is God is getting that Egypt out of them. God has to teach them what it looks like, how to be the freed people, the ransomed people of God. And so in order to do that, he takes them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses, as the prophet of God, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, up on top of the mountain. And as Moses goes up the mountain, God comes down and he meets with Moses there. And it's quite a scene. There's thunder and there's lightning and there's an earthquake. The mountain quakes and there's smoke and there's all these things happening on top of the mountain as God meets with Moses and God gives to Moses these 10 commandments. God gives to Moses uh, two tablets, two tablets of stone. Now, why is there two tablets? It's not two tablets so that the one tablet is uh, commandments one through five and the second commandments, you know, are then are following. In fact, there are two tables. There are two tables among the 10 commandments. And sadly, for those of us that have a little bit of touch of OCD, it's, they don't break down one through five and then six through 10. That's not how the tables break down. Even though God's the God of decency and order, and yet they don't, there is the tablet of God that is the first four commandments. And then there's the, the, the table of man, which is uh, verses five, or commandments five through six. There are two tables or two stones. It's because what God is doing is God is establishing a a treaty with his people. It's following the the order and the protocol for a peace treaty that God is offering to his people. And probably on one table is all 10 commandments and one table belong to the people. On the other table, I'm sorry, on the uh, one stone, one tablet is the one that belongs to the people. And on the other is the one that belongs to God. They probably are 10 and 10 written there. One for man and one for, for God. Even before now, as we think about those 10, and even though I just read them, if I was probably to ask you before this, see how many you could get, like you would be familiar with some of them. But let's go over them again. The 10 commandments are this. The first commandment is no other gods before God. That means that no gods are allowed in his presence. This isn't an allowance or a tolerance for lesser gods because God's presence is everywhere. He's saying there's no gods are allowed to be in my, pre- in my presence, that the worship of other gods is prohibited. Number two is that no idols. Don't make gods and then bow down to them. But also what's being prohibited here is do not make God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God that has come. Do not try to image him 
by graving something or carving something or painting something and then saying, this is God and then worshiping that thing. And that's the very thing that the Israelites will do when they make the golden calf. They're not introducing a new, a new God to the people, but what they're saying is this is God. This small stature, this statue, this, this thing that we have built is God. Number three is do not misuse the name of God. Number four is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Six days are for work and one day is for rest. Number five is to honor your father and your mother. And then we get into the prohibitions. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness or do not lie. And number 10 is do not envy. Those are the 10 commandments. Now, let's just be honest. In our culture and in our time, there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to the 10 commandments. There are people that think they're this and think they're that. And so let me just kind of like in, in Mythbuster style almost, let me just set out some of those myths that exist about the 10 commandments and then we're gonna bust them with God's word. First of all is the 10 commandments are not a formal list of do's and don'ts given in order to restrict our freedom. They're not prohibitions given in order to restrict our freedom, but rather they are the very blueprints for freedom. They are the very pathway to freedom. These people were enslaved people and now they've been set free. They were enslaved for some 400 plus years and now they've been set free and they have no idea how to live as free people. And so God takes them to Mount Sinai in order to instruct them, in order to teach them how do free people live. Remember in Genesis chapter one, God's people, Adam and Eve and God's place in Edom under God's blessing and God's rule. And I said, they had one command. And that one command was you may eat of any tree in the garden that you want to eat, except for this one tree. And the tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now listen, the sin, the transgression wasn't that they ate forbidden fruit. The actual transgression was their attitude in eating forbidden fruit that they were rebelling against God. And what they were saying is, we wanna, we wanna throw off all of God's rules and restrictions, and we wanna be the ultimate determiners of what's good and what's evil. That we wanna be the ones to say what is right and what is wrong. We wanna be the ones to determine that. And what flows from that, what flows from that evil of them saying, we wanna be the ultimate determiners of right and wrong, isn't rightness, but it's a ton of wrongness. That's the storyline of the Bible. What flows from that is bedlam and anarchy whenever we throw off the rules of God. Like for some of you, that right there may be a good description of your first few weeks in quarantine, bedlam and anarchy. You may say, hey, I understand Bedlam and anarchy better than anybody else or better than any other time in my life. And that's what happens. I know that's what kind of wants to happen within my family is Bedlam and anarchy. That what's right for you, you determine what's right. And what's wrong for you, you determine what's wrong. And this is what has to happen is as loving parents, my wife Luann and I, we have to sit down with our kids and we have to say like, listen, we're gonna lay down some ground rules here. The ground rules, you as the teenager don't determine the ground rules. You as our five-year-old child, you don't determine the ground rules 
You don't know what's best. But as a loving parent, I can see further and I know better and I understand deeper and more than you do. And if you do this, if you follow our commands, if you follow our rules, if you'll listen to us here, then we will flourish as a family. And that is what we have in the 10 commandments. That Adam and Eve said, we wanna know best. Humankind, as we follow suit, as we have fallen from Adam and Eve, as Adam and Eve's great, 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 great grandchildren, we're the ones that wanna say, no, 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 no. We wanna determine what's right and what's wrong. And what God is establishing, God as a loving parent, God is saying, I know more. I see further. I understand better. And this is the path. This is the way. This is the blueprint for human flourishing. That is what's happening in the 10 commandments. They are the blueprint. They are the path for human flourishing. Number two, they are not a ladder in which we climb in order to win God's approval, but they are the, love, they are the loving response to the love of God. The 10 commandments, they flow from love and love is the key to understanding the 10 commandments. Whenever Jesus was asked as the son of God, as the perfect teacher, whenever he was asked, what are the greatest command? What's the greatest commandment? His, what he said was really, he's pointing to the first commandment. He says it like this, you shall love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's Deuteronomy chapter six. The Israelites would have known it as the Shema. You love God. And the second he said is likened unto it that you are to love others as well. And what Jesus is, goes on to teach us is, is that love is more than just a funny feeling that we get in our bellies. Love is more than just butterflies and feeling Twitter-pated, that love requires action. And what is those actions look like? Well, that is what he's giving us in the 10 commandments. He's defining and describing the way of love and a response of love. That if you love God, then you will keep the first four commandments. If you love God supremely, then you will not have other gods before him. If you love God, then you will worship God rightly as he has described worship for us in the Bible. You will love him rightly. You will worship him rightly. If you love God, then you will not misuse the name of God. Versus also what we have in commandments five through 10 is a description of how to love others. If you love your mother and your father, then you will honor your mother and father. If you love your neighbor, then you won't kill your neighbor. You won't sleep with your neighbor's wife. You won't steal from your neighbor. You won't lie to your neighbor. You won't even envy the things that your neighbor owns. This is not a ladder in which we climb in order to win God's approval, but rather this is a loving response. This is the path of love. He is teaching us here how to love, how to love God and how to love others. In fact, the law of God, the 10 commandments, they are not a ladder at all. If I could point to an object as a kind of a, as an object lesson to say, then what are they? If I could point to one object, then I would point to this. I would point to a mirror. They're not a ladder, but they are, they do work like a mirror. If you look into a mirror, a mirror gives you a reflection back. But let me just ratchet it up another notch. They're, they work like a, a special mirror. 
Like, could you imagine like you go into your bathroom and you look into your mirror and your mirror and, and your mirror reflects back with brutal honesty what it sees, right? It, it shows you all of your blemishes. It shows you as you are. But then imagine this, there is a, another image superimposed over that reflection. That as you look into the mirror, your, your, your reflection fits perfectly over it and in it is the, the perfect man or the perfect woman. Like imagine this, me looking into the mirror and I see my gray and all of my receding hairline and all of the flaws that is there. But then what if I looked into that mirror and I saw also not just my image, but the image of Chris Hemsworth. Like in my home, I think he's probably the uh, perfect man. I saw Chris, like Thor, that's who I'm talking about. For those of you that don't know and those of you that don't know, it's good that you don't know. Right, you look in there and you see the image of the perfect man or this perfect woman superimposed on there, almost mocking you with their perfection. That's what this mirror does. Not only do you see your reflection in it, but you see the reflection of perfection in it. That in fact, we could say this, that the 10 commandments, they reveal, and we'll spend the rest of our time right here. They reveal three things to us. The 10 commandments reveal what is right and what is wrong, and they also reveal what is needed, what is right, what is wrong, and what is needed. See, when you rightly understand the 10 commandments, they show you what is right. These aren't just prohibitions. This isn't God being the greater governor saying, you can't do that. That's not what's happening here. Ultimately, the 10 commandments, what they are doing is they're revealing the character of God to us. That first and foremost, the Ten Commandments aren't about us, but the Ten Commandments are about God. Remember all the way back in Genesis that you and I, we've been made in the likeness and in the image of God. And first and foremost, they are revealing the character of God to us. The Ten Commandments are declaring that God is holy, that God is so holy that is, he is to be revered above everything else. So don't have any other gods before him. Don't try and make him into something that you can draw or fashion or paint or make because God is far above that in his holiness. His holiness means his otherliness. He's not like us and you can't fashion him. You can't contain him with a piece of art or an image. So don't even try is what he's saying. God is holy, so don't misuse his name. Don't do something that's unholy and then attach his name of it or to it and say, this somehow is, is God's will. That is to misuse his name, that misusing and, and taking God's name in vain is deeper and more than just saying a, a curse word. But it's when we attach our, we attach God's holy name to something that is unholy, that God would never attach to his name. Why does God say, do not murder? Well, because Genesis 1 shows us that God is the God of life. That we have in Genesis 1 is we have the creator God who speaks and as he speaks, life literally falls out of his mouth. And so he says, do not murder because God is against the shedding of innocent blood because he is the God of life. Why does God say, do not commit adultery? Because God is holy and pure and he is a God of faithfulness and he is faithful in all of his ways. All of his ways are holy and pure and faithful. Why would God say no lying? 
Well, because he's the God of truth. Why would God say don't envy? Because he's a God who provides and he has given to you all that you have. And to envy what someone else has is to say, God has not given me enough. That the 10 commandments that they first and foremost, they reveal character, not performance. They reveal God's character, not our performance. And they reveal our character as well. They reflect I should say, just as you look into the mirror and the mirror reflects what it sees back, the 10 commandments, they reflect our character. And that's what Jesus teaches in the 10 commandments, in the Sermon on the Mount, whenever he's asked about the 10 commandments. What Jesus teaches there is ultimately they do not, they do not reveal our performance, but rather they reflect our character. That Jesus says that they reveal our hearts and our intentions. Jesus will say, you've heard it say in the commandments. That's what he's talking about. Do not, do not murder. But Jesus says, I'd say this to you. If you have anger in your heart, unforgiveness, a root of bitterness in your heart, then it's the same as murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, or a man, we could say, with lustful intent, then, you're, then you've broken that commandment already in your heart what Jesus is doing there is he's showing us that the 10 commandments reveal our character, not just our performance. The 10 commandments, they show us what is wrong. As we look into it, we see what is wrong. We see what's wrong in our world outwardly, but more than that, we see what's wrong inwardly in ourselves. That everything that is wrong in this world flows from sin. Everything that is broken and lacking, even in your life, it flows from sin. Maybe it flows from Adam and Eve's sin, or it flows from your sin and the wrong choices that you've made, or it flows from someone else's sin that they have done. Something that we say in our home often is we say this, sin wrecks everything, and it does. Adam and Eve's sin against God was cosmic treason and it has wrecked everything. And even our sins that we do, if we think about even in these 10 commandments and the places where we break these commandments, how they lead us to brokenness. These are not prohibitions that lead us to some restrictive prudish life, but rather they're guardrails that keep us from veering off the cliff and hurting ourselves and hurting from other and hurting others. Goodness, there's so much pain that comes from sin that I think the lie that we want to believe is that somehow we can control sin and we can't. That is in the storyline of the Bible and certainly, hopefully, your life can attest to it. You cannot control the targeted audience of your sin, that sin is out of control. And the very people that you love the most will be the people that you will hurt the most whenever we live sinful lives. Some of you, you feel that. You feel that in your own life. As we think about the 10 commandments, they show us what's inconsistent in our lives. There's a, uh, there's a TV show on Netflix called, uh, called Nailed It. It's a baking competition kind of game show thing on Netflix. I, uh, I recently have watched a few episodes with my, 
17-year-old daughter. And the gist of the show, if you're looking for something clean and good to watch on Netflix, um, it's good for a couple of episodes. Give it a shot. Check it out. Here's the gist of the show is what you have is you have these master level professional bakers that come onto the show and they make these um, show-stopping showpieces of, of desserts. Like I'm not talking about a cheesecake here. I'm talking about this like extravagant, multi-layered, multi-tiered, huge, elaborate desserts. And then what they do is they bring in the contestants and the contestants aren't even bakers. It's not even your at-home bakers. It's folks that can't even scramble an egg and they bring them in and they give them the ingredients and they give them the detailed instructions on how to make it. They show them like, here's what the, the master level baker has made, here it is. And they show them all of this and then they tell them, okay, now go and make it. They give them plenty of time and they go and like I said, they've got multi pages of instructions that they try to follow in order to make it. And then like the whole uh, climax apex of the show is whenever they can show what the contestants have made. And so they put the spotlight on and they do the big reveal and they show these train wreck of desserts that these folks have made. And they look nothing like what the, what the other bakers have made. And when they show it, they go, nailed it. Even though they haven't nailed it at all. Listen, that is what the 10 commandments do. The Ten Commandments, no one looks at the Ten Commandments and goes, nailed it, that the Ten Commandments reveal our great need. That the Ten Commandments show us what it reveals is it reveals that we are, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That the Ten Commandments reveal that our lives are a train wreck in comparison to the glory of and the splendor and the holiness and the perfection of Christ. They shows us what is right. It shows us what's wrong and sin is what's wrong and sin is in us. And lastly, it shows us what is needed. It shows us what is needed. That what is needed the most for you and I isn't just for you and I to try harder and to do better but the law of God declares every one of us to be sinners. And what is needed most is a savior to save us from our sins. As even as Pastor Derek read earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is where the good news comes in. It is my joy to preach to you and to share with you the unhindered, gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, that word gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ. And here is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ has come into this world to save sinners like you and I, to save us, to save us from the thousands of times when we fall short of the holiness of God, that what God does is God doesn't just forgive and forget. That whenever you and I, when we ask for forgiveness for our shortcomings and our sins before a holy and righteous God, that God just doesn't forgive and forget and sweep them under the carpet. But was what was needed most was a savior. And Jesus Christ came to this earth to be that savior, to die as a substitute in our place 
The Bible says that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The penalty for sin is death. And Jesus sheds his blood and Jesus dies a death, a real death on a cross. And in that he is doing that as a substitute for sinners such as you and I, that when we look at the 10 commandments and we see our shortcomings, it should drive us to our savior who is Jesus, that by faith we lay a hold of the promises and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So first, what was needed was a savior. Second, what was needed was a perfect law keeper. Not only is Jesus the substitute who stands in our place, bearing the penalty for our sin, but Jesus is the only one who kept the law of God perfectly. Never one time did Jesus sin against God, not in thought, not in deed, not in intention, not in any way did Jesus ever sin before God. And what the Bible teaches us, that same faith that we lay a hold of Jesus's substitutionary forgiveness, Jesus's substitutionary taking on the penalty for our sin and the same faith that lays a hold of that gift of forgiveness that's found and rooted not in you, but it found and rooted in Christ and what Christ has done for you. That same faith also lays a hold of Christ's perfection very favor of God to come and to rest upon you is Jesus's righteousness. Jesus's perfection is, a, is counted to you. Then what about the law of God? What about these 10 commandments? If Jesus has covered our shortcomings and Jesus's perfection is counted to our place, then what about them? Do we just throw them out of the window? Well, God forbid that. They still are the path of freedom. There's still the blueprint for righteousness. There's still the blueprint and the foundation for human flourishing. But in the same way, those contestants on that show, in the same way that they could not, they could not produce those elaborate desserts, not because they didn't have the right ingredients, not because they lacked instruction or example, but because they lacked ability. They could not do it. That as Christ Jesus, as he is resurrected from the dead and spends some more time with his disciples, and then Jesus will ascend into heaven where he will sit on a throne. And then Jesus will send his Holy Spirit to his church. And the Holy Spirit will come and fill us. Those of us who have faith in God, those of us who have faith in the finished work of Jesus, we are transformed. Ability is our problem. And what is needed is an internal transformation, a constant change of the heart, a constant softening of the heart, a continual supply of new character that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. That the Ten Commandments, they show us to be sinners and they send us to Christ for salvation. And then Christ sends us back to the commandments as a way of life. And the spirit of God works in our hearts, changing us and empowering us to live obediently. And brothers and sisters, that's what it means to be a Christian. 
It isn't someone who is trying hard in and of themselves. It isn't someone who's trying hard to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It's trying hard to do better, be right, perform correctly, pretend that we're not all that bad. That's not the gospel. That's not good news in that. But the good news is this. The apostle Paul says, the good news is this. It's deserving of full acceptance. It's a trustworthy saying, the good news is this, that Jesus Christ has come to live the life that you and I could not live, to die the death that you and I deserve, to rise again in victory and to give us the Holy Spirit, to empower us, to transform us, to change us for the rest of our lives. And so I ask you this morning, I don't ask you the religious questions of, have you been baptized? Do you join, have you joined a church? Do you belong to a church? What I ask you this morning is, have you been to Jesus? Have you come to Christ for his cleansing and his forgiveness? Have you been washed by his blood as the old hymn we sing? Have you done that? And are you trusting in him and believing in him and the work of a Christian in the same way that God has redeemed and saved and delivered the children of Israel, takes them to Mount Sinai. That's the, basically the process of sanctification. In the same way God saves us, redeems us, delivers us. And now he's teaching us, he's sanctifying, he's cleansing us. He's teaching us how to live in a way that's glorious to him. Now, are you doing that? You do that by cultivating the Holy Spirit. Have you done that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your invitation to sinners such as us. That in you, Christ, we find forgiveness for our sins. In you, Christ, we find the perfection that is needed. In you, we find our righteousness and our footing. We find our everything in you, Jesus. Jesus, your cross, your death, your coming here, it outs sinners like me, Lord. It outs the self-righteous like me that says, don't pretend and don't hide, but come into the light and be cleansed by me. It frees us to confess our sins before you, Lord. And Lord, we know that there's great power in that. Even Jesus, as you taught, the one who has been forgiven of much, worships much, loves much. And may that be us. May we embrace our sinfulness, May we renounce that. And more than even that, even though we're honest in that, we confess that before you, may we embrace Jesus, your forgiveness. May we embrace in you a savior. May we embrace you and love you and worship you and live and long to live for you and for your glory, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.